Good morning, church. How we doing? All right. We got a jolly bunch of elves that lead us in worship every week, don't we? Aren't they great? Hey, but quite honestly, aren't we blessed beyond belief to have the men and women that lead us into the manifest presence of God each and every week? Um, and you really, I mean, especially in church world, you have no idea the amount of talent that God has brought to us. I mean, Jonathan, the guy that stands right here, he, he was up for three Dove Awards this year. And if, if you're not into church stuff, it, it doesn't have to do with soap. It's like the, the Grammys of Christian music, okay? And he, he won one. That's a really, really big deal. And so each and every week, they lead us in worship. And um, I mean, it's, it's really, really big. And so uh, if, if you haven't picked up the North album, the North CD, um, the, that song's not on there, praise God. It's like real worship songs, like, Oh Come All You Faithful, and, and Little Town of Bethlehem, and Oh Holy Night, and stuff like that. And so uh, you can pick this up in the lobby right out here. We don't have a lot of copies, hard copies left, so you can also uh, download it on iTunes. Um, we'd love for you to do that. And a big reason that we do it is because... Uh, this is not Christian karaoke, that we take worship very, very seriously here, and that uh, we, we're, we worship God, and we want to put tools in your hands to help us worship better, like all during the week. And here's how I know it works. When we just sang Rooftops a little while ago, which was on our last album, that the worship level in this place went up a notch. It just did. And I watched you recognize a little while in, you went, oh, this is my jam, and hands went up. I mean, we had Lutherans with their hands in the air in this place. It was crazy, right? Singing with your eyes closed, and it's just better. Don't you just feel like you're on stage in front of Jesus just singing when you know the songs? And so part of the reason that we do CDs is so that you can know the songs. We're going to do another album this next year. So just that, that's why we do it. Our, our people aren't trying to be rock stars. They're just trying to be real worship leaders and equip us. And so uh, we're blessed like crazy. So pick up the North CD if you want it, or you can download it on iTunes. Also, uh, as one more little piece of housekeeping, uh, you people are crazy. All right, you're just crazy, breaking all the rules. Uh, last week was Compassion Sunday. Some of you know that and you dodged it. That's fine. You can, you'll take that up with Jesus. All right? You'll be before him one day. It's fine. Man. All right, whatever. Um, so, but if you weren't, well, well, Compassion told me we're fully saturated on kids. We already are kind of off the charts on the amount of kids that we, had, that we sponsor, you know, based on the attendance here. And so we said, well, just give us a thousand packets. We'll see what happens. And you sponsored over 900 children last weekend. Yay. Isn't that crazy? Awesome. Unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, so if you didn't get the opportunity to sponsor Compassion Kid, Compassion is just a, a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, Jesus-based uh, uh, child advocacy program that goes into third world countries and rescues kids uh, from poverty in Jesus' name. And we sponsor, I guess we're close to 4,000 kids now or something like that. As a church, it's really, really great. Um, and so one of the things I did is I pulled four packets to sit on my desk for my family, my kids to pick out a kid. And so we, we sponsored another one. And so I feel kind of guilty because I got three that got, I pulled off the tables that nobody got a chance to see. And so at the end of the service, there's going to be tables outside in the lobby. And so if you didn't get a chance to sponsor a kid, if you'll go and, and sponsor one, if the Lord leads you to, and then I have three from Brazil that at the end of the service, not right now, at the end of the service, I'll have with me down front. And so if you'd like to sponsor one of them, then you can come grab that from me. But just way to go again. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, all right? Now, <clears throat> today, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. If you brought a guest for the very first time, guest, I really encourage you to come back. This, this week's going to be really, really weird. Next week will be great. All right, this week, yeah, kind of kooky. All right, just, it is what it is. And if you're new to Bible study, uh, I would just encourage you, don't start Bible study in the book of Revelation, all right? But I'm a professional, so I can take us there and get us out safely in time for lunch. 
Um, and so the reason that we're going there is because in the scriptures, <clears throat> there's at least four accounts of Christmas or the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Almighty God becoming one of us, okay? And so uh, one account that we're pretty familiar with would be the, the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew kind of takes it from Joseph's perspective, Jesus stepdad's perspective and talks about um, his journey on Christmas Day. And then um, the one that we know the best is Luke. And, and that's Luke chapter 2. And it was made famous by Linus from the Peanuts, you know, what he reads at the end of the Charlie Brown Christmas. That's Luke chapter 2. And it takes a historical perspective in connecting the Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah to this little baby born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And those two are the historical perspectives of what happened a couple thousand years ago at Christmas. Um, the Gospel of John, it addresses the incarnation from a theological perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. When you get to verse 14, and, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's his description of Christmas. So it's not so much historical as it is theological. But then there's another account, and it is in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. The book of Revelation, chapter 12. And, and from the book of Revelation, we get the events of Christmas, but not so much from an earthly perspective with like wise men and shepherds and that kind of thing, but we get like the heavenly perspective. The book of Revelation is sort of like God allows John, the same guy that wrote like John in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he allows John to sort of peel back the curtain between the chronology that happens to us here on earth and the eternity that's going on in heaven. It's sort of like the Matrix, don't go crazy with me here, but it's kind of like Neo and Mr. Anderson, you know that whole deal. And there are times where he can see that everything's going on here, and then there are other times where he's allowed to look behind the curtain and see what's kind of going on behind the scenes. It's a bit of what's happening here. And so what I want to do today is unpack for you what Christmas looks like from a heavenly perspective. And so here's just a few truths that, that I just want to establish that will help us get into the book of Revelation. And the, the first one is this, is that there, there is more to this life than what we can see and touch. There just is. And regardless of whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we all believe that there's an unseen world that affects what we can see. And I know this is true because about half the women in here today, you carry a little thing of hand sanitizer with you. And the reason that you do is because you believe there's an unseen world that affects your seen world. That you walk through and you go, oh, Merry Christmas. And you shake somebody's hand and you go, and you squirt that stuff on your hand because you don't want the unseen world to affect what is seen. That's just true. But even on a spiritual or, more, or a deeper level, we believe that too. Like we believe in things like love. We just do. Regardless of what you believe about God, you believe in love. And if the person that you love comes to you and says, I love you, you would never go, no, you don't really. It's just a chemical reaction in the medulla oblongata. You would never say that. You actually believe there's something bigger. We also, we believe in things like hope and destiny and some of those kinds of things. Also on, a, on, a, on the negative side of that, we believe in, in evil. That on 9-11, when that atrocious event happens in our country, we didn't think that it was just the sole responsibility of a few men that made poor decisions. We believe that it was uh, sort of this cosmic evil. There's something out there that is not for us. And so... Those are just some things that we believe. And then one other thing as we dig into the book of Revelation, anytime you try to talk about an eternal, timeless God in the events of human history and you lay eternity over chronology, it can get a little confusing, okay? And in the book of Revelation in chapter 1, one of the things that you need to know, first of all, this is just a pet peeve of mine, it's not Revelations, there's not 17 of them, okay? There's just one, it's the book of Revelation, singular. It's one dream or vision that John is given by Jesus. 
Okay? And so John, who was a fishing buddy, disciple, camping pal with Jesus, is caught up in this dream or this revelation from Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, John, you might want to write this down. That's what's going on. And since it's a dream or it's a vision, there's some people that go, well, I'm, not, I'm out. I'm not going to study it. It's too complicated. As soon as the locusts come in, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, I understand. <clears throat> and then there's some people on the other extreme you know, and they've got a history book and a newspaper and they're trying to figure out which president was the beast. You know what I mean? I'm like, I think he's the Antichrist. No, he just works for him. You know, that kind of thing. And so I, I would warn you against that too. And because it's a dream or a vision, there really is legitimately wide latitude of orthodox interpretation in the, in the book of Revelation. But essentially, what I want us to understand before we get to 12 is this, that what God is doing in the book of Revelation is he calls up John, he gives him this dream or this revelation, and he peels back the curtain between what we see in this earth and what's happening from a heavenly perspective. And and we even see it early on, because early on when John gets caught up in this revelation or dream or vision, and Jesus says, write these words down, one of the first things that he does is is John hears this voice speaking from the throne, and he turns around to see who is sitting on the throne And it's Jesus on the throne, and here's how Jesus is described. It says that he has a long robe and golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like that, like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when John saw him, he fell at his feet as though he was dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on John and said, do not be afraid. So, so you see, essentially, what we, what we learn here in chapter 1 is this, is that if you were to interview John afterwards and, and say, what were you doing? He goes, he looked different. He did not look like um, the guy from Nazareth that I used to camp with and fish with. Or even if you lean in and say, hey, John, why are you bowing down to Jesus? That's your buddy. That's your fishing buddy. That's the guy you used to go camping with all the time. I mean, y'all used to hug and high five. And, and, and John is saying, yeah, but from this perspective, he wasn't just a suffering servant, rabbi, teacher in Galilee. It was glorified Jesus on his throne, and he looked different. He was as bright as the sun, and his glory shone all around me, and he had a sword coming out of his mouth. And you, you, get, you can either bow down or you bow down. Those are your only two options when you encounter the glorified Christ. And so, in other words, <clears throat> what's happening from a heavenly perspective is true, and what we're going to look at this morning is when heaven and earth intersect at Christmas. I think that sets us up to go to Revelation chapter 12, another account of the Christmas story. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. God's word says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon with the seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And that's the Christmas story from a heavenly perspective. 
And I know some of you are thinking, this is getting weird. Oh, it gets worse, okay? Yeah. So I know that you and I have this idea, this image in our mind of like, you know, the manger and Mary and Joseph, like with their bathrobes on and the wise men and the shepherds. And, and you know, I've told you they weren't all there at the same time, but that's fine. And, and, you know, and like silent night, holy night, round yon virgin, you know, all that stuff and, and candlelight services and everything's kind of somber and and, and I'm not trying to bust up your nativity set, okay? If you want to be biblically accurate and you've got your nativity set in your lawn, I'd put a big red dragon, like, trying to eat the baby, all right? <laughs> That'll get a phone call from your homeowners association, wouldn't it? Uh, hey, Ted? Hey, whatever. <clears throat> but what I just need you to see here is that wild, silent night, holy night, sure, all that's going on, um, th- there is this epic all-out war for the hearts and souls of mankind. That there is this epic cosmic battle between God Almighty and the great Satan for the souls of men and women. And that's just what's going on here. And what we see here in Revelation chapter 12, <clears throat> again, if you lay Revelation 12 right over Matthew 1 and 2, you'll begin to see a bunch of intersections between the eternity in, in the heavenlies um, intersect the chronology that is here on earth. Like, for example, there is a great sign and there's this woman who is pregnant. And you'll remember in Matthew 1 and in Luke chapter 2 that Mary is found to be with child and this child is from the Holy Spirit. And then this, this woman that's pregnant with this child she is described as being this incredible woman who is clothed um, with the sun and the moon and 12 stars. And I could take you back to Joseph's dream that we studied a few months ago and how she is this person that he was dreaming about. And then it says that she is in, she's crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. To which I... That's just true, and on Christmas Day, that was what was happening with Mother Mary, and I don't know how we got the song Silent Night, because I've been in the birthing room twice, and I ain't going back. I'm just telling you. It is not a silent night. It is not a holy night. It is like a UFC match gone wrong. That's what it's like. It was not awesome, okay? And nobody warned me at first, and and it, it got weird, and so in the round two, when Reagan, our second child, was born, I knew, so I stayed north of the head of the bed. This is just advice to all you newly married guys, and you haven't been in that room yet. If you can stand on the, between the bed and the wall, and you can just lean over and go, go get them, baby, and that's what you should do. That's my advice, okay? And so this woman is giving birth, and she's crying out with birth pains. And then another great sign appears. Remember last, year, last week? Um, we said that the Magi come from the east and they're looking for the baby king. So they go to the king's house, King Herod, and they knock on the door and they say, is there a baby king here? Because this is the king's house. And because we have seen another sign. We've seen a sign of the star and it's resting over where the baby king is born. And in Revelation 12, there's another sign. <clears throat> and then in Revelation 12, there's this great red dragon. And if I had time, I could tie together all of the, all of the symbolism between this great red dragon and King Herod himself. You see, the dragon is, is colored in red, and red was the color of war. It was also the color of Rome. It has um, seven heads and ten horns, and Rome had seven Caesars with ten different, um, ten different provinces or rulers, and Herod was one of these. And so while in the heavenlies, this great epic beast is trying to devour this child, do you remember what's happening at the first Christmas? That Herod, remember when the Magi came and said, hey, there's been a king born in your territory that he's disturbed. So what does he do? He sends out this edict to say, we're going to kill this little baby king. 
And so again, from our perspective, from the earthly perspective, it looks like a jealous, insecure ruler who's trying to protect his territory. But from the heavenlies, there's this great red dragon that is trying to devour this child. And then this woman in Revelation 12 gives birth to a male child. And Mary gives birth to a little boy. And this child in Revelation 12 is one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And Isaiah said some things about this little boy, like the governance will be on his shoulders. That yes, there'll be kings, and yes, there'll be presidents and prime ministers, but there's only one king of kings and lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. It's talking about the same child. And her child is caught up to God and to his throne, and there's only been one man, fully human and fully God, that ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You remember from last week that the Magi, when they come and they visit little toddler Jesus, and then an angel comes to Mary and Joseph and says, listen, you can't go back home because Herod is there and he's going to try to kill you. And not only is he going to try to kill baby Jesus, but just to make sure he gets it, he's going to try to kill every little boy that's two years old or younger. And so you need to flee and you need to go to the land of Egypt. And so sure enough, history tells us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they all go to Egypt and they stay there. You can read this in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13. It says, go to Egypt. And then in verse 20, an angel comes back and says, okay, the threat's gone. And history tells us that Herod lived for about four years after the birth of Jesus or about 1,260 days after the birth of Jesus. And so what we see here is this overlapping between what's happening in the heavenly places and what you and I read about in, at, the, at the birth of Jesus. And so again, I'm not anti, you know, manger set on your lawn, all right? Add a dragon or not, that is up to you. But then it keeps going. It keeps going. Verse 7, it says, And now a war arose in heaven... And Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So the, the thing I just want you to grab onto this morning, I just want, to, want you to think about for a second, is that when we celebrate Christmas, we're not just celebrating cute, little, chubby, almighty, sovereign God wrapped in swaddling clothes, but this is like an epic, all-out war in the heavenlies for the hearts and lives of people and for the glory of God himself. And what we find out here in Revelation is there is this great war between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. And they are in this cosmic warfare over the glory of God and the hearts and lives of men and women just like me and you and the people you work with and the people you love. And and here's just what's true. And this is where it can get a little bit confusing because in God's eternity... The good news is this, is that the war is over, it's already been established, that you and I are already seated at the right hand of God the Father, that the victory is done, that at the resurrection, that it was over, and the victory is ours. You see, it looks like an epic battle that's going on right now, and it sort of is, but I I got good news. If you read to the end of the book, we win, and that's just good news. So it may feel like an epic battle right now, but it's not as bad when you know that you're on the winning team. I'll explain it this way. On Wednesday... I just had a wonderful dad moment. JP goes and puts on his Christmas pajamas and comes and sits down next to me on Wednesday night and says, Dad, is there a football game on? And I say, oh, son, we are in a dark day, okay? (laughs) It's the time of year where only the imported games are on now. And so he says, well, can we watch a Georgia game? 
And God brought a verse to my mind. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so what we do in my house, <clears throat> I would encourage you to do this if you're a college football fan, is that so we record all the games all year, and then, uh, and then I erase three from this year, okay? So according to my DVR, we're 9-0. So whatever you want to choose from, so we ain't watching South Carolina, we're definitely ain't watching Florida, and we're not watching the debacle that was Georgia Tech. We're not, okay? We just watch one of the nine that we won. And so we picked Arkansas, all right? We picked Arkansas. And so, because they, they have red, and we have red, and it's Christmas, why not? And so we start watching the, the Georgia-Arkansas game. And I know you guys all know this, but in the first half, the Bulldogs dominate. We absolutely dominate. We're running away with the ball, just running up the score, and we think, woohoo! And then the second half begins. And in the second half, if you remember, and if you don't, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you, that Arkansas starts making a comeback. They hold us three and out, and then they score, and then they hold us three and out again, and then they score again. And then my son, who doesn't understand the DVR system right now, he starts going, oh, no, Dad. And you know what I said? Be not afraid, my son. <laughs> Why? Because I know how this thing ends, that I can watch this in full confidence, though it looks like the demonic Razorbacks are trying to take down the mighty, mighty Bulldogs. They will not prevail, my man. I have seen the end of the game. Glory, glory to old Georgia. All right, so I never get nervous when I watch a DVR game. Why? Because I just watch the ones we win. So <clears throat> while there is this epic battle going on in the heavenlies, the truth is this. So when Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished, it was over. It was over. And when he was resurrected from the grave, he claimed victory over sin and death. And if you're in Christ, you were on the winning team. Amen. But in the meantime, Jesus said, in this life you will face troubles of many kinds. Why? Because in chronology, in, in the world that we live in today, the end has not yet come. So we are kind of in the middle of this war that arose in heaven between Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, they fought back, verse 8. But he was defeated... And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And this is a reference to the great fall of Satan himself out of heaven. Jesus talks about it in Luke 2. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 14. And Revelation mentions it right here in chapter 12. And then you get verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying... See, by the way, God likes loud stuff. There's a lot of loud stuff in heaven, okay? And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now. Now, this is important. Again, when you're trying to look at the eternity that God resides in, and when it overlaps the chronology that we live in, occasionally you get these chronological kind of words like now. And what this next sentence is talking about, it's talking about that first Christmas morning when the Messiah is born. And now. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. When? On that Christmas morning. And notice, from the heavenly perspective, it's not just, um, it's not like this King Jesus is adorable, but we adore him because he is salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ has shown up on that Christmas morning. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. You know what happens here? Essentially what the writer of what John is saying here in Revelation 12 is that the point of Christmas is Easter. That's the point. 
That the reason that this baby is born in a manger is because he is going to come and shed his blood and conquer sin and death. And again, the point of the point of Christmas is Easter. The point of the manger is the empty tomb. The reason that the Word became flesh and became one of us is so that He could die that criminal's death to take our place. That's the reason why. And also in Revelation 12 here, you get the fulfillment of the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel that we talked about back in the book of Genesis. That God created humankind to be in right relationship with Him and they rebelled, we rebelled against God. And remember back in Genesis 3 when God steps in, to curse, not just man and woman, but all of creation. He says these words to Eve. He says these words to the woman. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the serpent, between your offspring and the serpent. But one will come from you, a seed will come from you, and he will rise up, a male child, and the serpent will bruise his heel, but this seed of yours will crush his head. And you see, what that means is on the cross... That when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said these words, it is finished, I believe that the enemy thought, finally, I won. I won. And when the enemy felt like he nailed Jesus to the cross, little did he know that he was writing his own death sentence. That he thought, I bruised his heel. And then the next thing that happens when Christ resurrects from the grave is that it crushed the enemy's head. So I was coming out of a tree stand a couple, few months, uh, years ago. It had been raining like crazy, so I sat in a box stand so as not to get rained on. And uh, the water is filling up the little ditches on this dirt road back to my truck. And I'm walking in the dark on this dirt road back to my truck. And I always wear snake boots, and I got my little headlamp on. So you can't see a lot, but you can just kind of see the little spot in front of you. And I'm walking along, and I felt something smack me in the foot. And those of you that are hunters, which should be most of us by now, I think I've converted you, Okay. <clears throat> You know, sometimes when you're walking in the woods, uh, a root will kind of grab onto one foot and then let go and smack the other foot. I thought that's what it was. And I looked down, and a water moccasin is attached to my snake boot. Now, he's trying to get through, but he can't, okay? And see, you know what that water moccasin thought, okay? He thought, here comes this good and godly man, and I am evil because I'm a snake, and I'm going to take him out. And his attack against me secured his death sentence. Because in the name of Jesus, by the way, if you like snakes, you're ungodly. I just need you to know that, okay? In the, in the Bible, the snake is a devil. Like, what kind of devil power do you have to walk like that with no legs, okay? That's not good. And the Bible says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that day, what God had given me for life and godliness was a Glock 45. And so I pulled it out and just almost shot my toes off. Shooting him, okay? Now, the truth is, he was probably dead on that first one, okay? But just in case his evil friends and family were lurking around, I just kept shooting. Take that, right? And then what you do when you kill one of these serpents is you hang them up in your camp as an announcement for all the demonic snake world to see you don't mess with him, all right? That's just what you do. That's what I did. And that's what happens when now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority in his Christ have come. And that what Jesus did is he conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That it is the fulfillment It is the fulfillment of what God commanded would happen. All the way back from Genesis to Revelation is about one thing. It's about Christ coming to redeem this whole world. 
me and you included, for all who would receive him. Then verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. In other words, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but you and I have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. The Bible says that the enemy prowls around this earth like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're experiencing troubles and pain and that sort of stuff, I had a friend of mine ask me, look, is the devil out to get me? The answer is yes. Sometimes it's sniper fire and it's direct attack on you, and sometimes it's just collateral damage of the world that he's walking around right now. But there is a spiritual enemy, but the good news is, is that, again, we are, if you are in Christ, you're on the winning side. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he had become, that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. That's the Bible's way of saying three and a half years. And again, if you go back to Matthew chapter 2, you see that Mary and Joseph and, and toddler Jesus, they go to Egypt for about that long. And then verse 15 and 16, this is when it, in 17 it's begin, it begins to shift on us. Verse 15 and 16 are a picture of the gospel of Jesus. It's a picture of why Jesus came. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring for those who keep the commandments of God. Guess who that is? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 2, that's when Herod says, kill all the little boys that are two years old and under. And in our day today, you know what that means? That the enemy is, if you're in Christ, the enemy is so frustrated with you because he can't do anything to touch your salvation. Because God saved you, you didn't save you. And so, since it's a gift from God, then the enemy cannot steal that gift that God gave to you. But you know what he can do? He will come after you in the meantime. He turns, when he realizes at the empty tomb that there's nothing he can do about salvation anymore, he turns his attention away from this male child, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he turns his attention to folks like me and like you, and he's going to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's us. But the good news is this. In verses 15 and 16, we get this beautiful illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get this beautiful illustration of exactly what Jesus Christ does on the cross. You see, in 15 and 16, it says that the dragon spews out this great flood to try to take the woman and her baby out. And so when he realizes that he can't, he turns his attention to you and to me and the enemy. Satan sends this great flood after you and after me. But you know what floods out of the mouth of the father of lies? Lies and sin and death and condemnation and guilt. And here's how it plays out in your life. You come in here and you sit in this place and you hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And then you begin to think, yeah, but whosoever doesn't apply to me. And it's a flood of lies from the enemy. When you begin to neglect the fact that you were created in the image of God and that you are valuable, therefore you should be treated as valuable. It's a flood of the lies of the enemy of Satan. Or you believe, this is ridiculous, you believe, well, I think I used to be a Christian, but then I did some awful stuff, and I don't think I can be one anymore. And it is a flood of lies. 
or you feel guilt and condemnation, but the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you begin to believe the lies and this flood that comes from Satan, the enemy himself. And it would be almost like if you were standing there and a hundred yards away, you just saw this tsunami. I mean, this huge wall of water coming at you and you realize there's nothing I can do against it. I mean, it is just going to wipe me out. The force, the velocity, the power in which it is coming at me, I've got no hope. And then at just the right time, Jesus Christ comes and steps in the way. What happens here in Revelation, that the earth opens up its mouth and it swallows every drop of water so that it never touches the woman and her baby. And in our case, when that, when that flood of sin and guilt and death and condemnation are heaped right at us, and then Jesus on the cross at just the right time steps in the way and he absorbs every drop of the flood of the lies and not a drop gets on you. Amen? That's what happens, and that's what Christmas is all about. That's what happens, and that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Jesus in the manger is all about. And so what I want to make sure we do this year is just not forget that part. Again, you know, do silent night and light candles. and In fact, I would encourage you not to read the Revelation 12 account to your children on Christmas Eve, Right? As you're tucking him in, then there was a great dragon. All right, good night, kids. Is that reindeer paws or dragon claws? Good night. Don't, don't. But for us, maybe, I'm just hoping that God would let us see from the heavenly perspective. Here's the point. From the heavenly perspective, Jesus isn't simply a cuddly little baby born into a silent night, but God's almighty son sent behind enemy lines on a rescue mission. You see, Jesus said it this way himself. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And here's the truth, that he came on a rescue mission, parachuted in behind enemy lines for you and for me. But that's not where it ends. The moment you're rescued, he makes you a part of the rescue team, regardless of your credentials, regardless of your qualifications. But I can tell you this, all right? Found people, find people. They just do. They just do. Even if you don't know how you were found, even if you can't explain it fully, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like the man that, could, that, that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. After Jesus healed this blind man in John chapter 9, these religious people try to ask him to, to tell them how it happened. How did, he, how did he make you see? And he just continually says this. I don't know. I used to be blind. I met Jesus. Now I can see. Where is he now? I don't know. I used to be blind. Then I met Jesus. Now I can see. Did you sin or your parents sin? Once again, I don't know. I was blind. I met Jesus. Look. All right. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Found people, find people. The moment you're rescued, you become a part of the rescue team. You know what we find here at the church of 1122? Those of you that have recently, recently been saved are most active in telling other people about Jesus. Those of you who've been Christians for a long time, I guess you think they're just going to figure it out on their, on their own. And the reality is this. If this is true, if Jesus was actually born to be parachuted in behind enemy lines on a rescue mission for me and you, and you got rescued and you believe that he made you a part of the rescue team, that elicits a response from us. The one thing that scares me about Christmas in, in our context is this. In our context, Christmas is really about comfort. It just is. I mean, most of what we do in and around Christmas is really comfortable. 
You get gifts for people you don't even like because they got something for you because you don't want to have to have that weird conversation. You send Christmas cards. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but some of you got a Christmas card from somebody this year and went, oh, crap, now i got to send them one. That's a fact. You did that because it's all about just being comfortable. Some of you have special Christmas pajamas. Some of you are a grown man wearing Christmas pajamas. That's a shame, all right? You drink more cocoa than you've ever drank in your life. Who drinks cocoa? What grown people drink cocoa? But at Christmas, watching Home Alone, you're like, this is so nice. I get it. I get it. But from a heavenly perspective, there was not a lot of comfort at Christmas. There just wasn't. There just wasn't. And so, if this is true, if it's true that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost... And if it's true that as soon as you're rescued, you become a part of the rescue team, what does that mean for me and you? I want you to consider four things, This actually over the next two months, that you could actually not just believe with your mind and go, yeah, sure, I believe that theologically that Jesus came to down across from me and that I should probably tell other people about him, but something that you could actually do, that you could, you could do in the next two months. The first one is this. I put them in your notes. You could do all four, you could pick one, whatever you want to do, whatever the Spirit leads you to do. The first one is this, is that if you believe this stuff is true, that Jesus actually came to this earth on a rescue mission for you and for me, and one is this, that you would pray for someone specifically that doesn't know Jesus. Because if you and I actually believed in the reality of the eternity of heaven and hell, it would change the way we pray. We would probably quit praying for parking spots at the mall and we would probably pray for people that don't know him yet, that God would let the scales fall off their eyes and that God might use us and that we would be bold enough that if given the opportunity, that God would use us to share our faith. And let me just kind of, I always feel like at our church, I gotta say this, okay? And I'm not saying be weird, okay? I'm not saying dress up like Santa Claus and take a bullhorn to the Jags game and tell everybody they're going to hell. All right, if God tells you to do that, I'm telling you, take your 1122 sticker off on the way, okay? That's all. And then we're clean, all right? But don't be, you don't have to be weird, but just be authentic. That you, you, would, you would pray, I mean, you would really pray like it matters. Like somebody's hanging in the balance of heaven and hell. And you know why we pray? We pray because I think it actually matters that God can actually answer our prayer. That's it that God can actually answer our prayer. And, and look, I'll just be honest. There are people that I love so dearly. And I don't pray for them like their eternity matters. I don't get up in the morning and think about, man, the souls of some of the people I love the most are in eternal peril. What am I gonna talk to God about that? No, you know what I think? I think, where are we going for lunch today after church? And did I record the game? Just normal stuff like that. So maybe this Christmas season, you'd begin to pray like it actually mattered for somebody very, very specifically. Because here, here's the difference. If I were to tell you, hey, listen, there's some very sick compassion kids, and, and if we don't raise $100,000 in the next month, they're going to die, you would go, oh, that's a shame. And you'd think about it for a minute, and you might say a little prayer, and you would think, I hope we can get the money, right? No problem. But if the doctor came to you and said, it's your child, And if you don't raise $100,000 by the end of the month, your child dies. Then guess what? It goes from hope to we're going to. You'd do whatever it took. You'd sell whatever it took. You'd raise whatever money. You'd beg, cheat, steal. It wouldn't matter. You would get that money for the sake of your child. We've got to begin to move our mentality to, I hope our church reaches some people for Christ too. We're going to do everything short of sin to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray like we mean it. The second thing is this, is that if you believe this is true, 
that I want you to invite someone to church next week. Next week. Some of you will ask me this question. Is this a good week to invite a friend? And if you invited a friend this week, it was not a great week, okay? So if you're a guest here, just know this. The person that invited you, they love you so much, and they're like, come on, it won't be weird. And then I started talking about dragons, and they went, oh, no. Okay, I get it. No problem. Come back next week. Next week is going to be like our Christmas service. It's going to be as Christmassy as it gets. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and regardless of what people believe, they'll come to a Christmas service, okay? And, I mean, if, I might wear a sweater. You understand how Christmassy this thing's going to be? And then, don't hold me to it. We'll see. And so, <clears throat> and we're just going to talk about the message that the angels gave to the shepherds, that this is good news for all people. That, that's the message. So if you've got some all people that need to hear the good news of Jesus, then next week is the week to bring them. And I just need you to know this. At the church of 1122, that, that we, we consider what we do here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, video venues, all of those, we consider us to be like partners in this deal. Because, I don't know about you, but all right, I became a Christian at a Southern Baptist camp, all right? And then, that's why I pick on Southern Baptists all the time, because I'm a recovering one, and so I can say whatever I want. And then, and, and if you're here and you're Baptist, there's a reason you're here, right? All right, so... I remember getting saved at camp and then going to a Southern Baptist church and remember thinking, oh, wow, there's a dress code. I didn't know there was a uniform. I had to go get um, button-down shirts and pleated khakis. I had to because you couldn't come to our church if you didn't have pleated khakis. And so that was just it. And, and I understood to share the gospel with my friends. And, and even like when I was in college, I could lead my friends to Christ, but I never considered and then I could take them to my church because it was like a secret society of Baptists. And if you didn't grow up in that, if you weren't kind of enculturated in that, then you didn't know what was going on. There was all of this, there, there, was, there was kind of, we had our own language and, and in the service. Have you ever been to a church like this where nobody tells you and all of a sudden everybody just stands up at one time and starts singing a song and no other words are around? You're like, how does everybody know the secret song? Nobody told me. <laughs> like, I, I remember the one and only time I went to a Catholic church. And if you're Catholic, God bless you, we are so glad that you were here, you know. But... Catholic church is great for Catholics, isn't it? But if you're not a Catholic, I, I, I went to this Catholic church one time, and, and my favorite part of the whole thing was the sermon. It was eight minutes, wasn't even in English, I thought. That was awesome, all right? But the whole rest of the thing was like a skit without a point. I was like, what is happening? There's props and smoke and hats. I mean, there was things going on. And, and, and at one time, everybody just stood up and sang the doxology. Well, now I'm like a pro-Christian. I know the doxology. But back then, I didn't know the doxology. Everybody just stands up. Praise God from... And I was like... Whoa. And so everybody's up. I'm last up. I'm like, oh, dang. And then nobody told them to be seated. Just They all sit down, and I'm up. Oh, I'm, and then I'm waiting. I'm in my Catholic stance. You know what I mean? I'm like, y'all ain't getting me again. And sure enough, they start to move, and I'm like, boom, I pop up. They kneel. I'm the only one up. Dang it saying cuss words in Catholic church, all right? So then I kneel. Then we have to get in line for communion, all right? Now, I was Baptist. We did Baptist communion. Baptists, all Baptists really want to drink. So they give them shot glasses for communion to kind of get that feeling. And so, and you, you don't share. Man, get your germs off my communion. I got my own little shoop right there, right? Well, I'm in line, and I, I don't know what's going on. I'm so nervous. And the crazy thing is, I was a Christian, and the guy that took me to church was not. He just went because his mom made him. And, and, and I'm kind of looking, and I'm like, they are drinking out of the same cup? It's flu season. I ain't putting my lips. I know that guy. Put my lips on that. Freaking out. So then I get to the front of the line, 
And the guy asked me, like the, like the secret Catholic question, hey, psh, are you Catholic? Secret handshake. Now, I didn't realize that in their theology, they believe in transubstantiation. Okay, I got that all now, but then I didn't. So he asked me the secret Catholic question, and I didn't know the answer. And so he just went, this is not for you. And I was like, <laughs> he denied Jesus? That's, Wow. Go back to, go back, and I get it now. I understand why they do that. Great. But, and then I go back to my seat, and then we're going to pass the peace. Man, we didn't pass the peace at my church, all right? And, and so everybody stands up, and they're like, pass the peace. And so I, everybody starts shaking hands and stuff. Now, we did that at the church I went to. It was just like, good morning. How are you doing? All the extroverts talk, and all the introverts just pray. They don't talk to me. All right, that's what usually happens. <laughs> and I'm trying to talk to this guy because this guy's kind of weird. And then sure enough, he's passing peace be with you. But I didn't know the peace be with you. I just heard, bim, 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 bim. and I said, pretty good. How about you? And he was like, I'm calling the Pope. You're going to hell. It's over. I remember leaving, just feel like, what, what just happened? What just happened? So the, the way we do these services, we seek to glorify God in worship and word. That's what we do. We don't do Christian karaoke. We're not singing to you. We sing to Jesus. Over and over and over, the Bible says, make a loud noise. So that's why we like it loud. If you don't like it loud, okay, you're not going to love heaven, but we got time to get you ready for it. That's what we're going to try to do. Help you be ready for heaven too. Be really loud, all right, and aimed at Jesus. And then what I try to do is take the almighty, infallible, inerrant word of God and unpack it in a way that you can go, oh, well, that makes sense. Like even take, you know, dragons and demons at Christmas and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Jesus came on a rescue mission. I don't try to teach the Bible in such a way that would impress my homiletics professor from seminary. He's dead. He won't be that impressed anyway. And I don't really preach to other preachers. It's just I want regular people like me and you to be able to show up in God's house and get it for the very first time. That's it. And even if you don't believe it, that's fine. My job is not to convince you to believe in Jesus. I can't do that. I'm a reformed guy. All right? I believe only God saves, God draws, God has to soften your heart, God has to make the scales fall off your eyes. My job is just to be obedient, to cast the seed in an understandable way. So even if you say, I don't believe what they believe, I at least want you to go, but I believe they believe what they say they believe. And then for the very first time, you could go, okay, I get it. So next week, next week, we're just going to present the gospel. We're going to present the gospel. So if you've got people that you love, and you would love for them to know Jesus, and that's what we're going to do next week. I, I would love for you to invite them. And some of you are like, well, how, I don't even know how to, how do I even step into that, hey, will you come to church with me conversation? Just this. This is going to be your cue from God, okay? The next time you're in this conversation, what are you doing this year for Christmas? Then your response is, whether you ask it or they ask it, your response is, well, Sunday we're going to a Christmas, Christmas service at my church. You want to come? And then you give a time and a place. That's it, a time and a place, all right? Meet me in the parking lot. At this time, we'll come in together. I'll buy you lunch, that kind of thing. And you have no idea what God might do through your invitation. So one is pray. Second is invite somebody next week. Third is consider hosting Christmas in a box service, right? Here's the reason we do this. We do this so that you can get your friends, coworkers, family members to just come sit down in your home and hear the gospel Um, especially people that might not come to a church service, okay? And so, if you have friends, now if you don't have friends, that's a different sermon, all right, we'll help you later. But if you've got friends, you just take this, and we try to make it easy for you. 
The band has recorded some Christmas carols. Um, I do about a 10-minute message on the meaning of Christmas. And then there's just a few questions that are in here that you just lead your little group through. And they're, and they're pretty easy. It's like, hey, what's your favorite Christmas memory? What means the most to you about Christmas? Stuff like this, all right? You do not have to be an expert Christian to host a Christmas in a box, all right? You don't have to, you don't have to uh, lead worship. You don't have to take up an offering. You don't have to do an exorcism. Nothing like technical. You just kind of... We tried to make it easy for you so that you could just sort of say, hey, why don't you just come and see? Come and see and just decide for yourself. You can't make anybody believe anything. Anyway, so we'd love for you to pick one of these up in the lobby or, or you know, you can just download it online and, and watch it there. And then the fourth thing is this, and this was really big, really big. On January the 11th, next year, this upcoming January, on January the 11th, we're starting a brand new service that will begin at 1.30. It'll be the exact same service as 11.22, all right? Um, it's the same worship band. I'll be preaching live. It'll be right here at 1.30. Here's why. From an earthly point of view, the last two Januaries, our, the attendance at our church has grown by 1,000 in our last two Januaries. Each January, two things happen, all right? The gyms fill up and our church fills up, all right? Everybody's like, I'm going to not be fat and go to the church, all right? Woo! And then everybody after about four weeks quits going to the gym, but they keep coming to our church. That's just true. And so what we want to do is make sure that we've got room for the thousand people that will be here this January that Jesus Christ came to suffer and die for at Christmas. And so here's what I need from you. I need hundreds of you to commit to move to the 130 service for about six months. And in the seat back in front of you, this is, there's this orange piece of paper. I don't know who chose orange. We'll talk about that later. Uh, and then you just fill this thing out. Not only do we need hundreds of you to move and say, all right, here's the service I go to. I go to 1122 or I go to 522. Actually, if you're at 522, stay right there. Thank you. God bless you. But this is mostly our Sunday morning crowd. We need hundreds of people from Sunday morning um, to make an eternal impact by emptying the seat that you're in right now and moving to the 130 service. And I know some of you are like, that's not very convenient for me. Listen, I am only talking right now to those of you that would say 1122 is my church. Okay? There's nothing convenient about sending your son out of heaven to die on a cross, all right? This is not about convenience. This is about whatever it takes for people that Jesus came to die for. It also takes about 200 volunteers for us to pull off a service, and so we need you to, we need 200 people to volunteer and say, okay, you could even attend 1122 and then volunteer at 130. But again, we need most of you to move to the 130 service. And, and you can also do all of that on your app. And so... If this is true, if Jesus is actually not just a little baby in a manger, but the almighty son of God that came on a rescue mission for you and me, then, then here's what we need to do. Pray like it actually matters, okay? Invite like someone could actually bump into Jesus here. Host, I mean, just host a Christmas in a box deal at your house or your work. You have no idea what God might do in that event. And then move. We need a bunch of you to move to our 130 service so that there's room in here for more people to show up. I'm going to close with this passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing and he's talking about eternity in heaven. And then when he gets to 2 Corinthians 5.16, here's what he says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What you think about this? Based on the information that you have today, that Christmas isn't just about silent night, but it's this epic battle for the hearts and souls of people that you love and that I love. And so with that in mind, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
So you know, like, you know, when you go to the mall this week, those people are not in your way. Those people are the people that Jesus came and suffered and died for, that they could be reconciled unto him, right? That, that your family and your coworkers, that, that from now on, we don't see them from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm talking to the Christians here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. That's good news. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's Paul's way of saying as soon as you've been rescued, then you become a part of the rescue team. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Here's the message of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against him. You know what that means? You know that that means that you and I can share the message with people that say, hey, listen, I know you believe all these kinds of things about who's in and who's out, but this is just true. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that counted for you. And you know that sin... And that struggle and that condemnation and that guilt, if you're in Christ, that doesn't count anymore. Because of what Christ did on the cross counted for you. That's what he's saying here, that we have the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You get this? Do you know who's Christ's ambassadors in your family? It ain't me. You know who's Christ's ambassador in your neighborhood? It's you. You know who's Christ's ambassador at your workplace? It is you. That God, not only did he redeem you, but he placed you wherever he he placed you on purpose to be his ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. Again, it's God that draws. It's God that saves. But this week, when you give the invitation, hey, you want to go to church with me next week? The Bible says it's as though God himself is giving the invitation through you. It's as if God, it's as as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then he sums that all up with a very similar image as Jesus standing and absorbing that whole flood from the enemy. He says, for God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. And that's the point of Christmas. That's the point of Christmas. And so I want to invite you, I want to implore you if you are reconciled with God, that you would participate in the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And we, as a church, we're trying to partner with you. So we just don't send you out and be like, enjoy the ministry of reconciliation. Because I know, you'd be like, well, how do I do that? You pray. You pray like you mean it. Just pick one person, and you start praying for them like crazy. And you invite, next week, you invite them to come hear the gospel message. And, and, and maybe you host, maybe you just host a, a Christmas in a box at your, either at your home or when you're traveling, wherever it is. And then you move. You move to the 130 service and you help us pull that off so that more people, just like you and me, can come to know him. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you so much. God, we thank you for the silent night and holy night and those somber moments of reflection with you. But God, we thank you for the mission that you came for and the mission that you've put us on. God, I pray that this continues to be a church where it's okay for people to not be okay because we know this. When people get in this place, God, that they're they're likely to bump into Jesus because Jesus is here. God, please help us never take our eyes off of the mission that you came to seek and to save the lost. And you're our Lord. That means we do what you do. That we join your team to seek and to save the lost. God, I thank you and I praise you that found people find people. 
It's God, I pray for the folks here, the men, the women, the students here, that they would be bold enough to pray, to invite, to host, to move, whatever you lead us to. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, as we respond, I don't know about you, it always happens to me. Anytime I talk about somebody that needs to know Jesus, there is one face and one name that immediately pops into my mind. That's true for you. The way I want to respond today is this. You just come to the altar and beg God, beg God, that maybe this Christmas season, that this would be the season that he saves them. Or maybe in, in January on the 11th at our 1.30 service that they show up. But that God might use you and your obedience to change somebody's eternity. So I'd invite you to come and respond.